<laughs> Thank you for that, little fella. So this is one of the uh, largest unreached people groups. So we talk about some of these people, and sometimes it's just hard to imagine the Yadav, Y-A-D-A-V. Um, isn't it just incomprehensible that there can be 58 million, and they've never been reached with the gospel? 58 million. That's a lot, isn't it? 58 million people? Wow. So their name, it's interesting how often the names of these Hindus relate to their history and their culture and their past. The Yadav uh, believe that they are descendants from King Yadu. That's what their name came from, being descended from King Yadu, the very king from whom Krishna descended, the religion Krishna, Hare Krishna, descended from this same king. Their traditional occupation is taking care of animals. They are expertise in specific oral traditions, some I have no idea, like Sevagariti, whatever that means. They are known especially for their beautiful group singing. Uh, they worship Lord Vishnu. Uh, they freely share their wells, their roads, their schools, and everything with other villagers. They show great leadership politically and socially, economically, especially in the states of Uttar Pradesh and Bihar, India. Great fear that Christianity is trying to turn them away from their country, their family, their community, and their traditions. And many of them will not even listen to the gospel. There is belief that a few have come to faith. We pray for that. And we pray for God to produce a great movement among these 58 million people who virtually all live in India, hardly any other country, all in one place, the nation of India. So as we prepare to listen to the Lord, maybe somebody would intercede for the Yadav, Y-A-D-A-V, Yadav people, 58 million. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Great move. Awakening, Father. Hmm. Thank you. Invite the, the young of heart. Talk about some things. I found new information. It's great to research things and find out information you never knew yourself. Amen. One question I know you're going to be able to answer me, uh, not just them, but probably everybody in the room. Approximately, actually, they say well in excess of. Well over 100 million people are going to glue their eyes to watch something tonight. Can you guess what that is? What do you think? The Super Bowl for sure. So that got me thinking. I began thinking, well, gosh, that must be a large number of people. And I found out, golly, Pete, the United States is nothing when it comes to watching sporting events. So number one. Number one, in history, the 2008 Beijing Summer Olympic Games were watched by 4.7 billion viewers. Billion. 2018 World Cup, 
3.6 billion. 2018 Tour de France was watched by 3.5 billion. Number four, you would never guess, the 2015 Cricket <laughs> World Championship. 2.2 billion watched that cricket match. And number five, the 2015 Rugby World Championship. One billion watched. 100 million is nothing, is it? Nope. Yeah. <laughs> Just amazed when you start looking at uh, those particular events. And the reason that I actually even brought that up is a lot of people are going to get together and have Super Bowl parties. And so what they want to do, I think we have a tremendous desire to celebrate, don't you? I think that's actually put in the human heart. I think human beings like to get together and celebrate. And I think that came from God. I think God created us for celebration. And when you think about it, there are a lot of days that we specifically set apart for celebration. In fact, one week from Monday, we will celebrate Allison's birthday. It's our birthday celebrations. Christmas, I've always loved Christmas celebrations. But what I want you to think about, because most of the time we don't really think about this, if you added every one of the greatest celebrations that's ever happened in history and added all that joy and all that celebration together and multiplied it by a million, it would not touch the greatest day of celebration. The greatest day. The reason I bring that up is what we have been talking about, that we need to be what? Ready. Ready. But you know what? Most people are almost scared of that day. So when we say to each other, like to Allison or to John Mark, you need to be ready for the coming of the Lord. And often it makes us feel frightened or fearful or will I be ready? And Jesus does not want that. No. He wants you to do, he wants you to get up every day with so much joy and anticipation saying, today might be the day and you're excited about it because you can't wait to what? Celebrate to see him and that you're looking forward to the celebration better than the Super Bowl better than a birthday better than Christmas can you believe it so if you take all the celebrations we've ever had add them all together and multiply by a billion they don't touch the celebration the celebration of the day now why do you think it is that we often are unable to anticipate and celebrate this day the right way what do you think keeps us from doing that there's, a, there's something that does it. It's our daggum enemy. What does he use to steal your joy of that day? Fear. Fear. It's exactly what he uses. That's why 1 John 4 says what? Perfect love casts out fear. I'm actually read that. I want you to hear how carefully Jesus describes it. Jesus does not want you scared of the day. He does not want you scared of the day. He wants you absolutely so excited that like a child on his birthday or a child, my brother, no one beat my brother on Christmas. My brother used to get up at 3 a.m. He loved Christmas so much. He would go downstairs in the kitchen and serve my parents. He would cook breakfast, go up into their bedroom and serve them breakfast in bed because he knew we couldn't celebrate Christmas till they'd had breakfast. <laughs> I mean, that's Clark. Clark was the, was the number. Clark loved. I mean, I think the latest Clark ever slept on a Christmas was about three. Three. Yeah, he just couldn't stand it. He would be so excited. He'd get up. He'd be jumping up and down. He would be so excited. Go into the kitchen, cook mom and dad breakfast, bring it to them. Christmas is here. 
Oh, how I wish we were all like that for the coming of the Lord. You know, a thousand more excited than my brother that we would be thrilled. And listen to how Jesus describes this because he understands Satan's tricks. He says here, love is perfected with us because God wants you to have confidence in the day of judgment. There is no fear in love because his perfect love cast out all fear. Fear because comes because of punishment. And the person who fears punishment hasn't been perfected in the love of God. He wants us perfected, doesn't he? He does not. Jesus doesn't want you scared of that day. Does he want you to live in readiness? Amen. He wants you ready, right, living in readiness? But he wants you ex more excited than my brother. 10,000 times and way better than all those Christmases that he made breakfast in bed. I want you to listen again to how it's described in Acts 1 and then how Luke, who wrote Acts 1, also described this in the very last words of his gospel. And he adds something in Luke that he doesn't put in Acts. Listen, when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord Jesus, at this time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus said, it's not for you to know. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you the time or season the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you're going to receive power because the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. When he said these things, he was lifted up right in front of them while they were looking on, and a cloud received Jesus up right out of their sight. They were gazing intently up into the sky while he was departing, and then two men in white stood beside them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing there looking up in the sky? This Jesus who was taken from you in heaven's going to come in just the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now Luke adds something else that he didn't say there at the very end of his gospel. In the very end of his gospel, Luke chapter 24, right at the very end, he talks about that exact same picture and describes it a little bit different, and this is what he said. Jesus led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands and blessed them. It came out that while he was blessing them, he departed from them. And the disciples were filled with what? Great joy. And returned to Jerusalem. And all they could do was continually praise God in the temple. They were excited about the day. They were excited about the day. And they were full of great joy. So what I want to do is teach us or talk more about how to learn to live in readiness and that we would learn how to live each day ready for that day. Amen? So God's going to teach us. I'd even encourage you to pray this way. Just say to the Lord from your own heart, very simple, I want to learn how to live in readiness. Isn't that just a simple prayer to pray? You know, Lord, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, teach me. I want to be a good learner. I want to learn how. How do I live in readiness? I know it's not fear. You know, I even remember David Wilkerson talking about the foolish mistakes he made. Isn't it good when a, 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 a pastor later on in years can look back and say, this was stupid, I shouldn't have done this, and tell other people not to do it? And he said, you know, huge mistakes when they used to, a big group of them went out in the middle of nowhere waiting for the coming of the Lord, you know, just separating themselves. And then later in his life, he sure didn't spend his end life doing that. You know, spent his life on the streets in New York, giving himself away for the poor and the outcasts. 
So we need to learn, don't we? We need to learn the right way to live in readiness because Satan will do everything he can to distract you and to get you thinking wrong, acting wrong, and doing wrong. Amen? So let's learn. Father, we do pray in Jesus' name and the Holy Spirit for every one of us, young and old alike, that you would teach us how, that we would learn. We need to be our teacher. Make us your students. Help us to learn how to live in readiness for the great celebration. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the key exhortation is simple, isn't it? Live in readiness, right? We want to live in readiness. You can't get ready, can you? Again, remember the illustration. Let's just pretend your mother-in-law was coming to visit. Your mother-in-law is coming to visit in March. You don't know what day she's coming because you don't know what day your mother-in-law is going to show up. You have to be ready what? Every day. And you've got to, be, you've got to know, how can I live in readiness? How can I live in readiness? So the two now words that we're really focusing on, I just want to encourage you. Matthew 24, 4 through 14, and Matthew 24, 32 to the end. I want you to take those passages in the coming days, weeks, and months, meditate on them. Matthew 24, 4 through 14, and Matthew 24, 32 to the end. Let's uh, review. Let's go over. I'm not going to read the whole passage again right now, but I want to review because it's worthwhile. The 11... There are 11 signs that are specifically given in Matthew 24, signs of the times that we're supposed to think on and help us live in readiness. Amen? Sign number one, false teaching and false teachers. Multitudes of false teachers and false teachings. There's so many different religions and philosophies and ideologies. False teaching in the Christian church. False teaching in the evangelical church. There's false teaching and false teachers everywhere. Be not surprised. Jesus said it would be that way. Number two, wars, right? Wars, rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation. Number three, famine. Number four, earthquakes. Now, what is he talking about with three and four? He means natural, nat what we often call natural disasters. There'll be all kinds of those everywhere. Number five, which is probably the most important or close to the most important in this whole passage, is the illustration of birth pains. The reason that's so important is that when a woman is undergoing birth pains, the nearer the birth approaches, what happens? The frequency of the contractions and the intensity of the contractions increase. Do you understand why this is so important? With birth pains, as the birth gets nearer, there are more birth pains and they're more severe. What happens? As a result of those, the anguish and agony produces what? A blessing, life. So Jesus wants you and me to realize that all the agony and anguish is going to produce full life. We should be excited about it. And we should be aware that when he talks about these signs, one of the most important things is we're going to see an increase in the frequency of them and what? The intensity of them, number five. Number six, so important, worldwide persecution. You'll be hated by what? All nations on account of my name. And I'll reiterate, well, actually, I'll wait. We'll get to that later. But worldwide persecution, that you'll be hated by all nations on account of my name. Worldwide persecution. Number seven, worldwide apostasy. It makes sense they go together, doesn't it? Where there's worldwide persecution, what happens? 
Worldwide opacity, remember the parable of the sower? Do you remember what the second soil was? The second soil was the rocky soil. What did Jesus say when he interpreted that? He said, they received my word immediately with great joy, but when persecution came, they fell away. Those are Jesus' words, right? It's not surprising that with worldwide persecution, there's worldwide apostasy, people falling away, all over the place. Number eight, which is a repetition of number one, false teachers and false teaching everywhere. If you read read and meditate on Matthew 24, 4 through 14 and following, Jesus talks about many things. Do you know what he talks about more than any other topic? False teachers and false teaching. That is number one. He He keeps repeating it over and over again. He even says that those false teachers and false teaching are going to be able to produce supernatural, miraculous wonders, and their false teaching and their false teachers and their miracles are going to be so powerful that almost even what? The elect would be deceived. Almost even. That's a pretty serious warning, isn't it? False teachers and false teaching is a biggie. Number nine, the law-loveliness contrast. The lawlessness love contrast. He says that lawlessness will what? Increase, and what will happen to love as a result? Most people's love will grow cold. So lawlessness is going to increase. You read Revelation 9. It's demonic. There is going to be untold, indescribable, demonic manifestations of just incarnate evil all over the world. And as that lawlessness goes up, 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 most people's love will go what? Down, down, down. But I am so thankful for number 10. Not the church. Not the church. Not the church. Jesus is not coming back for a dirty bride. He's coming back for a beautiful, 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 the most beautiful bride. He is going to clean us and prepare us and make us ready. The church is going to shine with the glory of the love of God. It's going to be awesome. It is worth celebrating. And so number 10, which is so often, is overcomers, victorious overcoming. Those who are true believers, the remnant, will overcome with awesome victory in the midst of all of this, and they'll shine with the light and the life and the love of God. The church is going to triumph. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad? People won't be able to mock and ridicule. The church is going to be so beautiful. Amen? And number 11 is just as good. Number 11 is the gospel will triumph victoriously. This gospel of the kingdom is going to penetrate and destroy the works of darkness and raise up in every race, culture, place, and square inch of this universe. Jesus is glory. Hallelujah. The gospel will what? Triumph. Gets me so excited. You want to talk about Jesus coming soon? It's a verse 14. And then the end will come. Don't you love Matthew 24, 14? This gospel of the kingdom will be preached victoriously in every race, culture, language, and tribe, and then the end will come. Now, birth pains, what are the two things that make me from all those signs feel even more so the nearness of his coming? Two, especially. All 11 are important, aren't they? But two, worldwide persecution. Remember that was one Jesus mentioned? Right now, worldwide persecution for Christians is by far at the highest it's ever been. One out of every eight believers lives. They have these studies they do, and they rate persecution from low to medium to moderate to high to very high to intense. 
Right now, one in eight believers in the whole world live in the last two, very high and intense. Wow, very high and intense all over the world. We just don't read about it on the evening news, right? Don't read about it on the evening news. And the other, which gets me even more exciting, is the gospel's victory. Do you know about 10 to 15 years ago, the estimation would have, was about 10,000 unreached people groups. There are about 25,000 people groups in the world, which are unique groups based on language, culture, and location, about 25,000. And at that point, about 15,000 had been reached, and about 10,000 were completely unreached. Do you know what it is today? Six to 7,000. That's just in the last 20 years. There's been unbelievable gospel fruit in many unreached cultures, languages, and places where there were no believers. There are now thriving, multiplying, reproducing churches. Wow, is that not good news? Is that not good news? Excellent. So what I want to talk about a little bit today is the next section when you go to 2432 to the end. Whenever Jesus repeats something... I take it seriously. This is actually the only place I can find in the Bible where passage after passage after passage after passage after passage after passage after passage deals with the same thing. Isn't that remarkable? Seven. Seven consecutive stories or illustrations that all have the same application. The application for every single one of those is live in what? Readiness, But then what Jesus does so wonderfully is instead of just giving us an overarching general application, he also gives us very specific applications so that you can learn how to what? Live in readiness. And so I'm going to state the seven again, and then we're going to just look at the first three. Seven in a row so you can kind of begin to remember uh, those sevens. The fig tree, parable of the fig tree, that's number one. Number two is the days of Noah. Number two is the days of Noah. Number three is thief in the night. Thief in the night. Number four, I like the way, because it's the faithful, wise, working servant. So number four is the faithful, wise, working servant. Number five, you've heard it many times, the parable of the ten virgins, right? Number six, which we name it so poorly because it confuses us. We call it the parable of the talents. It shouldn't be. If you want just a much easier name, it is the parable of the monies. <laughs> it's monies. That's what that parable is about. Monies, not your talent. <laughs> it's about M-O-N-E-Y, monies. And the seventh one is what we often call the parable of the sheep and the goats. And every one of these has the same practical application. Live in readiness. Amen? Live in readiness. He wants us to learn how to live in readiness. So let's read the first one. Let's read the parable of the fig tree. You'll find that in Matthew 25, 32, and we'll read that one. Matthew 25, 32. Matthew 24, excuse me. Now learn. Aren't you glad when Jesus invites you to learn now learn, Jesus says, learn, learn. Learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth its leaves, you know that summer's near. Even so, you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he's near at the door. So I brought you 
You know, I love my rose garden. Gardening. So this is my, this is the first rose that blooms every year. I'm so glad that it's thornless. <laughs> What's that one called, Angela? Lady Banks Yellow. Yeah. Literally, this maybe it grows up in a tree we have. You know, when it was in full bloom several years ago, literally, and I'm not exaggerating, I would guess two to three hundred thousand blooms. It's the most amazing thing. That's but you begin to see now. Look what it's already doing. See these little buds? Isn't that amazing? Up there, even little bits of leaf. You know, it's starting to what? It's doing what? It's getting ready. Yeah, spring's on the way. In fact, another one of my roses, I don't even know the name of this one. I'm going to probably cut myself on this one. I brought... I brought, wow, can you believe this baby? Wow. Man, is that baby getting red? Can you believe already? Look at all that new life. All those new leaves and the red ones that are just baby new ones. That baby is producing. Yeah, it is. It knows that spring is near. It thinks spring's already here. Yeah, it thinks it's already here. And so it's getting ready. And Jesus uses this parable of the fig tree. He says, You understand nature. You know, you look at the fig tree, and when you see these certain things happening, you realize that the season's approaching. So he's saying here, this actually goes back to Matthew 24. You see what he's saying? He says, you know how to look at nature of the fig tree and understand the seasons that are changing because of what's happening. So he's saying in Matthew 24, when you look at these 11 things I've mentioned, don't you see? Don't you see? Look at the application. Look at the application, this phrase that is so powerful. When you see all these things, you see what Jesus is saying? When you see, what's he talking about? The 11 things we just discussed. When you see all these things, and what's the application? Recognize that he is near. Where, Mark? I still remember your text. He's at the what? At the door. Do you remember sending me that text? I don't know if you remember when you're overseas in Europe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember talking about it. I don't know whether he remembers. I certainly remember when an event happened to you and you said God really spoke to you that Jesus is at the door and you sent me that text talking about it. When you see all these things, and what are we supposed to do? Recognize that he is near. Where? At the door. He's at the door. These 11 I've talked about, I just can't tell you how important this is. He she who has an ear, let them hear what the Holy Spirit's saying. I'll tell you what, anyone who really is seeking the face of the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit in these days and knows how to get in the tent alone has had God speak clearly to them about the nearness of His coming. If you aren't hearing that, if you aren't hearing that, something ain't right. You should be hearing in your spirit the nearness of the day. It should be reverberating like a song in your heart. Recognize. I'm telling that to every one of you in this room. The application so simply. Recognize that He is near. Do you? Recognize it. Recognize that Jesus is near at the door. You need to recognize it. Amen? Story number two, the days of Noah. And that actually begins, your Bible breaks up things differently. Mine broke this up completely wrong. The passage on the days of Noah really begins in verse 34. <laughs> Mine calls that the fig tree, Noah day. 
And the one about the days of Noah goes all the way till you get to verse 41. So this is where the passage starts, 34 to 41. Truly I say to you, Jesus is talking, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And you're confused. Wait a minute, Jesus, what do you mean? Well, you go back to the early part of Matthew 24, and you realize he's talking about two things, not one. He was not just talking about the second coming. He was talking also about what? The destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. So here he's talking about A.D. 70. This generation will not pass away until what I told you about A.D. 70 happens. And it did. But then what he does is he shifts to the second topic. Doesn't that make sense? So now he shifts not to A.D. 70, but to his what? And that's what verse 35 so clearly says. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words, what? Will not pass away. Of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, not even the Son. When Jesus humbled himself in his incarnation, he placed himself in a place where the all-knowing one doesn't know that. Isn't that amazing? The same way he could suffer, the same way he could be tired, he placed himself in a position of ignorance. Not even the Son. Only who? The Father. For the coming of the Son of Man is going to be like the days of Noah. In those days, which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they didn't understand until the flood came and took them away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. There will be two in the field, one will be taken, one left. Two women grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one will be left. What's he trying to tell us by, what is Jesus trying to teach us so that we can learn to live in readiness about the days of Noah? Number one, there's several lessons you can learn from this if you're paying attention. Number one, the remnant is ready. The remnant's ready. There were eight, eight. Noah, his three sons, their wives, eight were in the ark ready for the coming of the flood. Eight were. And that really does excite me. I am convinced in these last days the remnant will be what? Ready. Jesus isn't coming for a dirty bride. The Holy Spirit, the gospel, the cross, the love of God is going to work miracles in the hearts of his people all over the world. And the remnant will be what? Ready. I believe it with all my heart. The remnant will be ready. That excites me. Number two, the rest are asleep. The rest are asleep. The remnant will be ready. The rest will be what? Sleeping. They'll be sleeping. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. The rest are not going to be thinking about Jesus. They're not going to be thinking about the second coming. They're not going to be thinking about the gospel. They're just going to be living their life where Jesus has no place in it. They're going to be asleep, asleep, asleep. And in the same way that when that flood came, the multitudes were not ready. And boom. Right? The rest are asleep. The remnant will be ready, but many will not. Many will not. Doesn't that make you just want to get along with God to say, I, I'll just say it out loud. I will, say it. I will be ready. Say it again. I will be ready. Amen? Believe it in your heart. I will. I read something like that, and that's what I do turn it into prayer. I read something like that, and I say, Jesus, they weren't ready. That's not going to be me. 
I love you too much. I will be ready. Talk out loud. Tell him, I will be ready. Make me ready. I want to learn to be ready. Amen? Amen. You know, say, I will be ready. The remnant will be ready. The rest are asleep. Number three, of that day and hour, what? Nobody knows. I loved it when Andrew and I were up in Massachusetts. I got a copy of this book that's no longer popular. It said, uh, I forget how many reasons. I think it was a thousand reasons that Jesus will definitely come by 1988. It, it won't popular by 1989. <laughs> All the reasons Jesus is going to come by 1988. Well, you know what? He didn't come. And, you know, Allison asked me one time, when will it be? It could be 100 years. I don't know for sure, do I? When somebody starts telling you that they definitely know when, there's a false teacher. That's a false teacher and a false teaching. Not even the sun knows. Not even the angels of heaven. And even someone who wants to get real specific and say he's going to be here in a month or two months. I wouldn't be surprised if he comes in my lifetime. That wouldn't surprise me, but I might be wrong. I look at what the gospel's doing right now in technology. I love technology, Philip, because technology is opening the doors for the gospel to the unreached. That's the number one way it's getting in. Technology, technology, technology. People are getting the Bible in their own language. People who can't even read are getting it where they can what? Hear it. Hallelujah, the Internet. People think the Internet's evil. Are you kidding? God's using the Internet to save the world. He really is. The Internet's the most amazing ways all these Muslims can go into chat rooms where nobody else knows. That's why these communist leaders are trying to shut it down, and they can't. And these people have access to hear the gospel and to hear it explained and to be taught. Isn't that glorious? You know? So I do believe. I wouldn't be surprised at all. But 100 years? I don't know. My eyes get to see it, maybe. I don't know. I do feel the nearness of His coming. I feel it's very soon. It could be sooner than tonight. But nobody knows the day and hour. Number four lesson, which is, I think, one of the most important from this passage, season of preparation. Season of preparation that is so important. Noah prepared for the rain. I just cannot emphasize that enough. He was mocked. He was ridiculed, laughed, whatever. Noah knew how to hear the voice of God and Noah took the time to prepare a season of preparation. I believe the Lord has given us a very special season of preparation. I want to learn. I want to listen. I don't want to panic. I don't want to be afraid. What's the first lesson Jesus said in Matthew 24? I forgot to tell you this one. When he told about everything that was going to come, what was his first application? Do not what? Fear. Do not fear. He's telling you ahead of time what's going to happen. And then what does he say? Do not fear. Amen? Do not fear. So I want to use this season of preparation wisely. And last, what he says in this particular passage, he doesn't actually say it here, but for your own information in reading, the first flood was by obviously what? Water. The second coming, it's not going to be water. It's going to be what? Fire. And if you want to read that, read 2 Peter 3. The whole chapter is about that. The whole chapter, 2 Peter 3, is about the fire. And I believe what God's done throughout history, and he always does, are types and archetypes. What a type and an archetype is, is types are small things that happen that are pointing to what? The big thing. God would often talk about the small days of the Lord that were pointing to the big day of the Lord. And I think that's what we're seeing now. Australia's burning up. 
Yeah, California is burning up. I believe in global warming. I don't believe in global warming because of scientists. You know why I believe in global warming? Read the passages in Revelation that talk about people cursing God because the world is what? Burning up. Scripture says it. Scripture teaches about the world burning up in Revelation in multiple places. So I do believe in global warming. I believe the world's going to burn up. That we're going to actually see it. That when you see what's happening in Australia, that's a sign. Nearness of his coming. Recognize he's near. California on fire, recognize he is near. Global warming, recognize he is near. Amen? He is near. Last passage, thief in the night. We'll do that one quickly because it's a simple application. Verse 42. Therefore be on the alert for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. He keeps repeating that. Do you see what he's saying repeatedly? He's saying like that illustration with your mother-in-law coming, right? You don't know what day mother-in-law's coming this month, so you have to live in readiness every day, right? That's why you don't know the day. You don't know the day your Lord is coming. Be sure if the head of the house had known what time of night the thief was coming, what would he have done? He would have been on the alert, and he wouldn't have allowed his house to be broken. Doesn't that make sense? You know, if the thief calls me up, hey, Pastor Brian, <laughs> I'm coming Thursday between 3 and 3.15 in the morning to break into your house. Well, what would I do? Yeah, I'd get ready, wouldn't you? I mean, that, this passage really is almost funny. He, he's saying, he's saying you know, if someone gave you notification exactly what time of night the thief's coming, you're going to get ready, Joel. And then Jesus applies and he says, you don't know the day or the hour. Therefore, you have to live every hour as if it's what? The hour so that you're ready. Live in readiness. And he applies that. Verse 44, for this reason I say to you, be ye ready. The Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Living in readiness. And so just a, a couple little applications in terms of learning. This is something I've started doing. God has to teach you how it's going to work for you. When I get up in the morning, before I put my feet on the floor, I get up and we, the new bed's been raised up so high that my feet don't even touch the floor. Put on the feet on the floor. This is what I say to myself every day. I pray three things. I say, number one, I say, I'm an ambassador of love today. I'm sent on mission to love in Jesus' name. And then I go, fill me with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, led in the Spirit, fullness of the Spirit. I will not grieve, quench, or resist the Holy Spirit today. And then the last thing I say is, Lord, I want to live today as if today is the last day. This will be my face-to-face -face day, and I'm excited. Come, Lord Jesus. And then I put my feet on the floor. <laughs> I don't always do it, but I try to do it. So come up with something that's going to work for you, not copying it because I do it, but you have to come up with practical Holy Spirit applications that are going to keep you living in readiness. You know, you really, when Pastor and I say this, I mean, we don't even say, it's not a joke when we do it. Every time I see a man face to face, working on his oil on Friday, Maranatha. Yeah, he says it every time. I go Maranatha, he puts his fist up to my fist, and he looks me in the face, and he says, Pastor Brian, Jesus is coming very soon. I need to hear that. I need things that will wake me up and keep me awake and keep me alert. I need things that will keep me looking up and saying, Jesus, today might be the day. You, know, you, know, you can ask yourself an honest question like that. This past week, how many times did your heart really get excited because you thought today might be the day? And if you say none, something ain't right. 
You've got to force yourself. You've got to train yourself. You've got to learn. Learn how to live in readiness. Learn how to expect the day. Learn how to make your mind and your heart and your soul expect that today could be the day. It could be, like Philip said. You know, even if Jesus doesn't come, I might be going to see him, <laughs> right? Yeah, we might be seeing Jesus on the way home tonight. I mean, I hope not, but we could, right? Yeah, helicopters, right? Yeah, it really can happen. So we need to do that. And then the last one is I want you to keep reading these verses, Matthew 24, 4 to 14, and 32, the end of 35, and ask God to use these scriptures to teach you personally and specifically how he wants you to learn to live in readiness. Ask him to apply it to you personally. You know, every one of us in this room, how can I, how can Philip learn? Philip's different from me. God had teaches him different ways, but Philip needs to learn to live in readiness, just like I do. And I can't push my way on him but he needs to write these down and ask the Holy Spirit to write them on your heart and to teach you how to live in readiness. Father, we do praise you that Jesus gives us these words because he loves us so much. And he wants every single one of us to be living in readiness on that day. And I'm so thankful, Holy Spirit, you're teaching us. Father, you're teaching us. Jesus, you're teaching us. Teach us how to live in readiness that today could be the day face to face with Jesus. Hallelujah. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.